something very special for you in today's Skeptoid episode. We've got some listener feedback, which is always the cream of the crop of new information, updates, and fleshed-out clarifications that make the old episodes even better. So if you've enjoyed some of our past shows, today's will help you enjoy them even more. Listener feedback is coming right up on Skeptoid. Ready to take your Skeptoid experience to the next level? Head on over to Skeptoid.com slash GoPremium to become a proud member and unlock a world of exclusive benefits. Picture this, ad-free listening and extended versions of every new episode, diving deep into the mysteries and real truth without interruption. Take this opportunity to elevate your journey and join the Skeptoid community today. Skeptoid.com slash GoPremium. This episode is sponsored in part by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Skeptoid. I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Listener feedback, provisos, addenda, and quid pro quos. Feedback comes into the show every day, but it's not every day that I get something that truly adds a new dimension to an existing episode or that raises a new question that needs to be addressed. When I get these, they go into a document, and when that document gets long enough, I release a listener feedback episode just like this one. Not only does this improve past episodes, it also points new listeners to all that awesomeness found in the back catalog. Today we've got feedback on the episodes about the Stendek mystery, the Civil War pterosaur photograph, palm oil, the Banjawarn Bang mystery, the claim that the first slaves in the Americas were white and the not-so-strange disappearance of Flight 19 inside the Bermuda Triangle. An interesting new solution to the Stendek mystery has been proposed, as advised by listener Anders. This was the case in 1947 when an airliner crashed in the Andes, killing everyone aboard. There is no mystery about the crash itself. It was a controlled flight into terrain, during minimal visibility conditions, which remains even today the most common cause of a crash. The mystery is the Morse code transmissions sent by the plane shortly before it crashed, spelling out the nonsense word Stendek, S-T-E-N-D-E-C. Lots of people have proposed explanations for what it meant, and in Skeptoid number 231, I dismissed all of them as illogical. I also found it didn't really matter. There are garbled transmissions every day, and the only reason anyone remembers this one 
is that it happens to be followed by a fatal crash. A couple months after my episode, John Scherer of the North Texas Skeptics published the most sensible decoding of Stendek I've seen. He found that if you divide the dots and dashes differently and allow for the error of one additional dot, you get VALP instead of Stendek. VALP presumably representing an alternate airport, Valparaiso, approximately 100 kilometers northwest of their intended destination, Santiago. From other evidence, we do know that the flight crew thought they were much further west than they actually were, so this error is plausible. A weakness in Scherer's theory is that only eight minutes before, the crew had transmitted an ETA in Santiago for the exact same time, so we'd have to assume that the crew made the new determination of their position and elected to change airports during those eight minutes, and by coincidence, their computed ETA at Valparaiso happened to be exactly the same as they thought it would have been at Santiago, only a few minutes ago. In addition, the airport code for Valparaiso at that time was VAP, not VALP, but that's not an unreasonable error to make. It would also not be the first time that an error of one dot had been made during a Morse code coding and decoding. As I said, I find sharers to be the most plausible theory I've seen. Recently, Skeptoid number 605 talked about a photo showing some Civil War soldiers gathered around the corpse of a giant pterosaur, trumpeted by some young Earth creationists as proof of the biblical age of the Earth. In fact, the photo was one of two created in 2000 for a TV show called Freaky Links. I've been unable to track down the creator of the second and most famous of the two photos. However, after the episode came out, it transpired that two guys who worked on Freaky Links happened to be Skeptoid listeners and got in touch. Ben Rock, who worked at the production company and did some of the work writing backstories for their website, put out some feelers to more of his former colleagues. Brian Kane, who wrote most of the website backstories, confirmed the second photo's genesis. The show's art department had it made. Couldn't use ours because we didn't get the actor releases the way they needed. Another colleague, Scott Schofield, also remembered having the second photo made, but didn't recall who made it. I also heard from prop maker Seth Wolfson, who actually made the pterosaur in the first picture, and we traded a bunch of fun emails. Unfortunately, none of them were able to track down anyone at the production company who remembered what art firm had been engaged to create the second photo, but they did all confirm that it was indeed a computer creation, and not proof of modern living pterosaurs. Spoiler alert. Skeptoid number 608 was about palm oil, an embattled product due to its environmental impact. Many palm oil producers subscribe to a conspiracy theory, which probably has some truth to it, to explain why the European Union has instituted a ban on the use of palm oil to produce biodiesel, which is to favor their own products, such as grapeseed. Quite a few of you wrote to correct me that I probably meant rapeseed instead of grapeseed. 
While it's true that rapeseed is used to make biodiesel, the palm oil producers are indeed talking about grapeseed, which is a waste product from all that European wine production. Why not use a waste product if it can be turned into biodiesel? So it was not an error, but glad to see that you're all on your toes. Head on over to Skeptoid.com store and explore the Skeptoid store where curiosity meets cool. We have books, socks, shirts, hoodies, and more. Check out our slick new Bigfoot design, where the mystery of this legendary cryptid never looked so good. And while you're here, don't forget to grab a Skeptoid USB drive, your portal to all episodes and all our movies, now including the UFO movie They Don't Want You to See. That's not all we have planned. We have a lineup of way more cool stuff coming soon. So head on over, skeptoid.com slash store, and snag your swag. Episode 531 was about an event in 1993 in a remote part of Australia called the Banjawarn Bang, a huge explosion that many have suspected could have been a nuclear test. The land there was owned by the Japanese terrorist group Aum Shinrikyo, which they did use for testing weapons of mass destruction. However, after sifting through all the evidence, we concluded that the event was most likely an exploding comet or meteor, similar to the Chelyabinsk event of 2013 or the Tunguska event of 1908. A weakness in this theory that I pointed out was that seismic data gave the depth of the explosion at 10 kilometers, not zero kilometers as would be expected for an atmospheric explosion. Turns out this was not a weakness after all. Listener Gustavo wrote in to advise me that 10 kilometers is always given as the default depth for all earthquakes when it cannot otherwise be determined, since this is about the average depth for most quakes worldwide. In this part of Australia, seismic data was scarce, and although we did get a good measurement of its magnitude, 3.6, slightly less than the 4.2 measured at Chelyabinsk, there was insufficient data to determine its depth. The 10 kilometers number is a placeholder only, not a fact. So there goes my only objection, and we're left with a stronger case than ever that the Banjawarn Bang was a hypersonic superbolide, and not a nuclear bomb. Episode 609 dealt with the false narrative popular among white supremacists that the first slaves in the Americas were Irish, not African. Listener Buck wrote in with a little anecdote pertaining to a snippet of an indenturement contract from 1640 that I read on the show which indentured a young man to the service of Henry Wolcott, a member of the Connecticut House of Delegates. Buck wrote, I have been listening to my son's flash drive of Skeptoid episodes, starting with number one, and have enjoyed them. I thought I should check out your website and found the Irish Slave episode and listened to it. The most interesting tidbit was the sample contract you used. I am a direct descendant of of Henry Wolcott of Windsor, Connecticut. 
He is my ten-time great-grandfather. I am a member in good standing of the Wolcott Society and shared the episode to our Facebook page. And we have another Grandpa Connection, this time in episode 417 about Flight 19, the training flight of five TBM Avengers that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in 1946. Check out the episode if you want to know what actually happened to the planes. But this message from listener Anne that she sent through the Skeptoid Facebook page definitely adds a bit of dimension to the story. My grandfather was one of the naval aviators tasked with looking for Flight 19, and I called him a few years back hoping for a fantastic tale of equipment gone crazy. In fact, none of his fellow aviators thought there was anything mysterious about the missing planes. The only really cool part about the incident was his description of the extent of the search. On the search area map, each search flight drew a thin pencil line to indicate where they had flown to search. By the time the search was called off, the entire map was black. Now that was impressive. Nothing like a primary source to tell you what's really cool about a historical event. Now, I always like to end these episodes on a positive note. So here's an email from listener Phil, who gave me permission to read it. Hello, Brian. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for your debunking posts. I have an adult son who has become mentally unstable due in large part to the rhetoric spilling out from wackos who create documentaries and web posts about such subjects as Zeitgeist, the conspiracy theory film, and so many others. He has brainwashed himself into believing this stuff and, as a result, has slowly diminished his respect for reality and how to decipher between the two worlds. He is now sitting in jail for reasons too long to explain in an email. But in short, it is due to the overwhelming ability for these people that have addicted normally sane folks into subscribing to their agenda. I am just a Joe Sixpack who just wants to live and let live. Now I'm in a battle of wits with my son to sort out his mentality and help him back into the arms of reality. But I have to admit that I'm feeling like the mouse against the eagle. I came across your debunking posts, and it has given me a reservoir into which I can fish for answers. Thank you. Your new subscriber, Phil. Having a positive social impact requires two things. One is me on this end of the microphone, but the much larger part is all of you, the thousands and thousands of supporters that make it possible for Skeptoid Media to exist as a 501c3 nonprofit and to crank out this content on a daily basis, which requires time, people, and resources. So on behalf of Phil and his son, I want to extend a giant thank you to all of you, supporters and future supporters alike. It's not just a podcast. Don't forget, bibliographic references for every Skeptoid episode are on the transcript page for each at Skeptoid.com. And when you print a transcript, it comes out as a nicely formatted PDF document, references included at the bottom, which you can share around. Post it on your office refrigerator, give it to your students. It's not just a podcast, it's also a resource. You're listening to Skeptoid, a listener-supported program. 
I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Hi, this is Mark from Santa Fe, New Mexico. You know, when you consider that every single day we're exposed to such an avalanche of deliberate disinformation, conspiracy theories, false claims, hidden agendas, and outright lies, that it's no wonder that we can feel overwhelmed by it all. How can anyone know what to believe anymore? Well, by employing skepticism, critical thinking, and deliberate search for truth through science. That's how. Let Brian Dunning and Skeptoid be your guide in separating real facts from fiction. After enjoying episodes for a good many years, I finally decided to give back and become a premium member. Thank you, Brian, for performing a very valuable public service. Oh, yes. The episodes are also very well produced and very entertaining. There are so many great resources and tremendous library of past episodes you will have access to. I would highly recommend you consider becoming a premium member today.